Man, niggas use chopsticks. You niggas are fancy as... Are you eating salad? No, it's a poke bowl. Oh, look at you eating uh, fish. Isn't that fish? Damn. Poke bowl does sound good. I just got pizza. Isn't that not yeah. cooked, though? It depends. On, it depends what you got. Like, what do you got, Jamil? Salmon or uh, salmon or um, tuna? Both. Both. Okay. We fancy. We paid. We paid the extra. <laughs> I, I'm, gonna be, I'm gonna be honest with y'all. I don't. I don't do fish. Which is funny because I'm having fish tomorrow. But y'all know I'm how to get fish. Up. I enjoy fish. Yeah. That has like uh, bones in it. Y'all pick that. You're supposed yes. to take the bones out of the fish. No, like fish with the bone in. Do, do you do you eat those? Yes. I I don't. Non filet fish. Yes, all the time. I actually do um whole head on. Um, like fish. a branzini type thing. Branzini, in like mostly red snapper. Is that a type of fish? Yes, it is. Oh. Hey, how are you a Florida nigga? And you don't know what red snapper is. No, that's mm -hmm. the type of fish. I'm talking about the Benzino that she said. Branzino, yeah, that's a sea bass. Oh, okay. Right on. Y'all eat yeah, that gonna... with bones in it? Yes. Like um, yeah. Darius said on Atlanta, boneless fish is an abomination. Oh, is it? Yeah, I don't, yeah. Oh, I mean, only kind of, the only kind of boneless fish I um will like is from is fast food, Captain D's. First off, Long John Silver's is better. Do they still exist? Yeah, they do. Very okay. few places. What channel is the game on, Jamel? Is there a game on? It's on TNT. It's a nine-point game. Uh, not, it's Philly and Miami. Oh, uh, Miami's up. Miami's up by nine. It's about to go into the. It's about to go into halftime. You realize that game don't count. Okay. Don't for? Uh, neither. But now that Joel Embiid is not playing. Oh, yeah, he got hurt, right? When you walk through the garden, you gotta watch your back. Well, I beg your pardon, walk the straight and narrow track. If you walk with Jesus, he's gonna save your soul. You gotta keep the devil. Podcast where we always leave it in. I am your host, Jawan, and joining me as usual are my two co-hosts. I am going to start today. Ladies first, always, Jamel. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastically well. How about yourself? I am quite fine. And Devin, that how you doing? Uh, I'm glad I'm good. I'm glad you asked. I didn't think you'd ask me. Glad to be here. And we are here tonight for something a little bit more, a little bit different from what we have been covering um, in the recent past, something a little bit more serious. It is the HBO um, six-part miniseries, We Own This City. We're going to be covering episodes uh, one and two tonight. So buckle up, buckaroos, as Jamil says. But <laughs> let me start off with a little bit of um, background. First of all, the episode one was written by George Pelicanos and David Simon, and it was directed. In fact, all six episodes of this 
um, miniseries will be directed by one Reynaldo Marcus Green, whose work, if you've seen um, King Richard, he directed that movie. Oh, okay. Nigga, did you see King Richard, nigga? We, yes. Remember, we covered it for the Oscar special. Oh, wait. I thought you hadn't seen it at that point. No, I had, I seen all of them at the point we um recorded that show. One of you niggas did not see King Richard. Cause I Jamel didn't. Oh, okay. So it was you. <laughs> no, I haven't seen it. <laughs> wow. And you, you haven't seen it after the slap hurt around the world? No. I think the slap makes it better. Right. He's <laughs> like, he should have slapped that gangster in that movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. So, as I was saying, We Own This City is a six-hour limited series based on the um, book by the Baltimore Sun reporter Justin Fenton of the same name, chronicling the rise and fall of the Baltimore Police's Gun Trace Task Force. It examines the corruption and moral collapse that befell an American city in which the policies of drug prohibition and mass arrests were championed at the expense of actual police work. David Simon and George Pelicanos created it for HBO, which is a return to form for Simon and Pelicanos telling the stories of crime and corruption in Baltimore. The first episode, just titled simply Part One, introduces viewers to Sergeant Wayne Jenkins, played by John Bernthal of The Walking Dead fame, and other officers of the Baltimore Police's Gun Trace Task Force who are involved in illicit acts and corruption. Uh, meanwhile, Nicole Steele, played by Wumi Mosaka, who was recently seen in Lovecraft Country and Loki, an attorney for the Department of Justice Civil Rights Division, conducts an investigation against BPD police officers after multiple complaints are submitted uh, about their behavior. The main tragic aspect of this show, however, is that it makes many references to the, to the um, killing of Freddie Gray. Emotions had been running high for several days in the city since the death of a black man after he'd been detained by police. Mobile phone footage showed 25-year-old Freddie Gray screaming in pain as he was dragged and put in the back of a police van. Soon after, he was in a coma. Lawyers for his family say his neck was 80% severed. We just want answers, yo. Those at the peaceful protest that have also been here said this kind of case was not new. What's changed, they say, is people are now determined to voice their anger in public. Who, on April 21st, 2015, died in police custody after being arrested during transport, unsecured in the BPD. Yes, a rough ride as they um, refer to it as in the homicide report. Um, six BPD police officers were suspended pending the investigation. And on May 1st, 2015, the Baltimore City State's Attorney at the time, Marilyn Mosby, announced her office had filed charges against the six police officers after the medical examiner's report ruled Freddie Gray's death as a homicide. The findings of our comprehensive, thorough, and independent investigation coupled with the medical examiner's determination that Mr. Gray's death was a homicide, which we received today, has led us to believe that we have probable cause to file criminal charges. Officer Caesar Goodson is being charged with second degree depraved heart murder. Accordingly, Lieutenant Rice, Officer Miller, and Officer Nero illegally arrested Mr. Gray. You're at the forefront of this cause, and as young people, our time is now. Baltimore's Mayor Stephanie Rawlings-Blake finally could tell people that the wheels of justice were turning. 
There will be justice for Mr. Gray, there will be justice for his family, and there will be justice for the people of Baltimore. Thank you. Mayor. Ultimately, after many protests and civil uprisings in Baltimore in January of 2017, a federal judge dismissed those charges. As prosecutors, we are ministers of justice, and it is our ethical obligation to always seek justice over convictions. Yes, As prosecutors, we do not determine guilt or innocence of individuals, but rather present evidence to a judge or a jury to make that determination. In these cases, my prosecutors presented a great deal of evidence to support the charges alleged. And although we came close to convicting one of the officers when his case was tried before 12 Baltimore City residents, the judge, who is within his right, has made it clear that he doesn't agree with the state's theory of the case and does not believe that any of the actions or inactions of these officers rise to the level of criminality. The judge has acquitted three of these officers one of the arresting officers, the wagon driver, the highest ranking police officer in these matters. In light, in light of these consistent outcomes, the likelihood of the remaining defendant's decision to elect a bench trial with this very same judge is highly probable, and unfortunately, so is the outcome. Mosby was being sued for malicious prosecution, defamation, and invasion of privacy, and this is the backdrop of where we start the story of we own this city. Jamel, as a Maryland nigga, what are your thoughts about what you've seen from we own this city so far? I know you had some reservations at first. Yeah, I still have reservations, if I'm being quite honest. I, I generally don't like shows and movies about police brutality and like overt racism. I just don't like it. So I'm not really all in with this show. But, mm -hmm. um, I mean, it was very well acted. It's very well put together and all of that. I'll give it that. But as um, I'm, I'm not into it, I'm going to be honest, listeners. But uh, everybody's doing their thing. Listen, I love Shane. Um, mm -hmm. And bad. as far I, I do, yeah, I do, I do live in, um, in Maryland. Uh, so it's just interesting to see because, like, I'm about, I don't know, 45 minutes away from Baltimore. Mm -hmm. Um, it really, it's just kind of like a reverse wire because like you see, there are so many wire characters in this show. Mm -hmm. And instead of being like, um, like street, like street niggas and stuff like that. Now they're like police officers. So it's kind of interesting. Like, yeah. Yeah. old dog. Oh, well, old dog is still corrupt, but <laughs> yeah, old dog is in there. Poots, uh, uh, Poots, uh, uh, Narcotics. Yeah. yeah. No, Marlo's uh, hom uh, homicide. detective. Yep, homicide. Like it's just so interesting. I'm waiting to see my my boo Bodie next. Okay. You know, I I would love to see Bodie in this. I love listen. To see I had the hugest crush on Bodie. But mm -hmm. yeah, we have a lot to get to, and the playoffs are on right now. So let's get it going. Devin, how did you feel about this show? <laughs> uh, apparently, this is a real show. Yes, it's based off real events. I knew that. Um, I did not know that. Uh, so, um, right on. Love the first it? episode mm -hmm. and the second episode. Okay. Oh, really? Interesting. All right, Interesting. let's get to it. Very succinct. So, you think I you am, are? by the way, I am under the weather, so that might have contributed to my boredom of the second episode. Oh, no. Well, we mm. hope you feel better. Oh, thank you, but that, I, I Juwan, didn't, I didn't do that think? for her applause. But no, I, I really theory. enjoyed it. Uh, David, again, I, I pretty much love all of David Simon's work, except for the deuce. 
But yeah, I enjoyed it. I like going back to this well of just seeing the crime and corruption in Baltimore. David Simon definitely had, uh, does not like corrupt police officers at all, and it shows on the, mm-hmm. on the screen. Mm-hmm. I, a lot, I mean, I think a lot of people when they're doing the wire has kind of like done some revisionist history that it was kind of copaganda. I mean, but those niggas was criminals. Yeah, yeah. So they were legit in their will and their rights to do that. This actually turns it on its head where you're showing these real life police officers basically in doing these inflicting criminal acts on these black people for doing nothing more than just going about their daily lives and walking around just trying to get. We see that a lot in episode two, man. Yes. And it is hard to watch, but I Yes, it is. But I do think it's still an important story. But yes. So let's go ahead and get into the recap. I'm going to like breeze through it. Feel free to stop me if anything stands out. So we start. And also, this is a show that does skip around in time a lot. It was very, very jarring yeah. on the first episode to kind of like get a feel of where you at. But I have to watch these like episodes. the police reports that you have to like pay attention to for the years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I watched it, y'all. I really did. I just <laughs> yeah. I had to watch it multiple times to kind of get the timing right. So I kind of I pretty yeah. much got it. So we, did you yeah. uh, watch it multiple times to actually like it, or is this a non-Atlanta situation? I immediately oh like it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, right on. Go ahead. So we start in January 10th of 2017, where Sergeant Wayne Jenkins, again played by John Berenthal. By the way, you may not remember all these names once I get through them, but um, he gives a lecture to members of the BPD Academy about policing tactics. Jenkins is adamant that the law allows police officers to be harsher on the streets and, if necessary, cruel, but it doesn't win cases. When you have to fight, man, you got to win. (laughs) <laughs> There's people who think that police brutality is when police win fights. The last time I checked, are we supposed to win the fights? So if we're in the fight, fuck any talk of police brutality. If we lose the fights, we lose the streets. Let that sink in. But I'm not here to talk to you about the fights that you have to have. See, I'm here to, uh, I'm here to talk to you about the ones that you, know, you want to have, <laughs> and ones you, you think you're entitled to just because you're wearing a badge. See, that, that's real brutality. Thing is, you don't need that kind of brutality. And hey, not because it's not fun, right? I get it. Get a few licks in on some mouthy asshole. Just can't shut the fuck up. I mean, come on, fun is fun, right? Yeah. <laughs> but see, that kind of brutality, just, it only gets in the way of doing the job. He instructs the trainees to look for their situations that may lead them to narcotics and weapons, allowing them to defend their actions. He kind of talks around the issue, but basically saying you can still beat niggas, but, better, but you better be able to justify why you beat these niggas. Right. Don't beat them for nothing. Like you make make sure there's a gun there or something first, and mm-hmm. then beat them up. <laughs> right. So during the lecture, the scene is interspersed with uh, other scenes of BPD engaging in various degrees of police brutality against black people, but they're also making cases, putting norm niggas in jail, uh, and. There are also some very intriguing but sad images of mostly black men being locked up, looking demoralized by these police interactions and also in jail. At the end of the speech, we cut the Jenkins in 2015 as a beat cop 
walking through the streets of a predominantly black neighborhood, swinging his police baton while the black citizens oh, look, mm, look at him with a sense of fear and avoid making eye contact. Obviously. And he loved that shit, too, man. And, he, you know, John Bernthal is the perfect person to, to play this role. But I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm interrupting. No, go no, ahead. go ahead. Interrupt. Please interrupt. So. Obviously, Jenkins has developed a reputation for his brutal tactics. Jenkins notices an older black man walking out of a liquor store with an open bottle in a brown paper bag, and he's drinking from it. Jenkins and the man share an intense stare, and as the man tries to walk away, Jenkins breaks the bottle with his baton. Which, when I first saw it, I was like, you just gave that man a weapon. And, mm-hmm. and Mr. Police, you're also littering. You know? Loiter. Yeah, 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 yeah. He stares the man down, and the man just sighs, looking dejected. So this scene is really reminiscent of the speech that Buddy Coven gave in season three of The Wire about the brown paper bag. Now, this is before my time when it happened, but somewhere back in the 50s and 60s, there was a small moment of goddamn genius by some nameless smokehound who comes out to cut rate one day. And on his way to the corner, he slips that just-bought pint of elderberry into a paper bag. A great moment of civic compromise. That small, wrinkled-ass paper bag allowed the corner boys to have their drink in peace, and it gave us permission to go and do police work where it was a deterrent against the BPD harassing black people who simply wanted to mind their business and enjoy their drink on the streets. But now it seems like what was described in the wire as a peaceful truth between the citizens and the BPD, that is over in real life. The real life yeah. is over. Yeah. And you notice like in the in the next episode, um, Mar- I'm calling this nigga Marlo. Um, <laughs> Marlo told told that one dude was just like, hey, make sure you put that in a brown paper bag because he had like an yes. open Budweiser out. So I thought yeah. that, yeah. I, and I the man said, I think on it. And the man said, I think right. of it because he was on his, he was essentially, I mean, he was on a public street, but it's his neighborhood mm-hmm. and he was outside of yeah, his own Yeah, he was in front of his house. Yeah. Right. This opening scene with Jenkins is also reminiscent of the introduction of Omar as well. People where Omar is walking down the street and they're saying Omar coming, Omar coming, and then he's striking the fear in you know, everyone who passes. Perfect impression. I can't, I cannot whistle. <laughs> no, that was perfect. <laughs> that was perfect. So um, we cut to the opening credits, which features um, Gordon Parks esque pictures of black people across Baltimore, various images of protests, post Freddie Gray, and actual news footages and images of all the these cops, corrupt cops, that we'll see in a story. So back in 2017, we move on to an interrogation room where FBI agents are interrogating Momadou G-Money Gondo. Remember that name? G-Money. G-Money. A member of the Baltimore Police Department's Gun Trace Task Force. They question Gondo about his ties to cocaine trafficking and Wayne Jenkins. They grill Gondo in the interrogation chamber about ties to criminal underworld. This is tied to a scene where Jenkins led a raid on the Collinson Square 
in February 17, 2017. During the raid, they find guns and drugs, but Wayne notices something in the closet and stares at it longingly. Could be money, I think. I'm pretty sure that was money. Yes. He then goes to catch up with his former partner, uh, Sean Suter. um, Marlo. Marlo Stanfield. (laughs) Played by Jamie Hector to brag about the bus. And Sean is looking like, I don't even fuck with you like that no more. (laughs) And this is cut with Gondo admitting to being involved in the criminal conspiracy of uh, robbing drug dealers. So It's really weird to see Marlo so straight-laced. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. All right. That nigga was terrifying in the wire, but he looked exactly. Like, he, he looks like a, just a, like a regular old herb. In his, he looks in his. like a right. He's like a Poindexter now. I'm like, okay. By the way, like I mentioned, they're robbing drug dealers. So these guys are the sticker boys. Basically, the police now are the sticker boys. Whereas mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. yeah, Omar when it was the wire. Couldn't back to June of 2015 in Bel Air, Maryland. Did I know there was a Bel Air, Maryland? Is that like it's out is there? That, it's out there. Okay, is that like the white folks hood? Um, I honestly don't know. Let me look it up. I've never been there. I just know that I just know where it is. Gotcha. So why are you looking it up? David McDougal and Gordon Hawk, who's played by Trey Chaney, a.k.a. Poot, of Hartford County Narcotics, are investigating a heroin trafficking ring after talking to a guy who has been revived from an overdose and and his girl. Mainly white. Mainly white. Okay. And, you know, white trash, huh? So, um... His girl, basically, they're talking to this guy. His girlfriend is dead. They didn't make it in time to her. And they question him. And this this guy tells him about a drug dealer who he knows by the name of Black, but also goes by Anderson. And they mm-hmm. suspect that he is a figure in the drug trafficking. Keep that name in, in your head. Anderson is important. Sure. Yeah. So they locate Anderson, put a track on his Jeep outside of his apartment. Anderson later leaves for the night. But minutes later, we see G-Money. And this other guy who O-Dog is there too, O-Dog. wasn't he? Yeah, O-Dog. We see O-Dog from the wire. From the wire uh, but we don't know his name as of yet in this. But they're posing as gang members and bust in and rob, their, and rob Anderson's apartment of money and drugs. Meanwhile, the next day, Madougal and Hawk, who is all a 5-2, um, <laughs> arrest Anderson at a, ho- at a hotel and retrieve and they retrieve the tracker, but like, they actually find two trackers. What's this other tracker here? Right. And there's the one they had, and there's another one registered to a John L. Cooley, who is one of Jenkins' guys on the Gun Trace Task Force. And McDougal informs the FBI after becoming suspicious about the tracker issue. So I was wondering with this, I'm like, I'm going to start checking my truck. From now, not that I'm doing anything, but still, mm-hmm. like, I don't yeah, know. like anybody could just haul up and put that leg up. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad Poop found that. Mm-hmm. I'm not calling him Hawk. I'm calling him Poop. <laughs> right. So, um, Nicole Steele, she's driving back for lunch, and just like a black woman, she's loudly listening to Mary J. Blige. Of course. <clears throat> and she sees some officers trying to arrest someone, but they get surrounded by a large group. Everybody of- got their cell phones out, bruh. Yeah, everybody. I did like this scene because, like, the, the police, I was just like, I, you know what? Not today. I don't even feel like doing this right now. <laughs> right, because they don't want the hassle because they say, like, police yourselves because they don't want to mm-hmm. deal with being videotaped. They, of course, this is post Freddie Gray. Um, mm-hmm. All these police shootings, they don't want to be accused of anything, you know, nope. if something happens, goes down. So, m- meanwhile, Amanda Jackson, played by Ian Duff, 
who's a, another attorney, meets Nicole at the Office of Civil Rights, and they began working on the investigation of the city's police officers. She said the Office of Civil Rights has received multiple complaints from police officers alleging excessive roughness. She meets with Mayor Stephanie Rollins, former mayor now, Stephanie Rollins Blake, about what her office is doing about the issues and is informed about, about the negligence of the police commissioner and the mayor's office's desire to fire him. And also that Mayor Blake may not be able to do much because she's not seeking re-election. Steele's investigation reveals Daniel Hersel, who's this played by nigga. Josh Charles. I love him as an actor. But, um, He's a dick here. I'm trying to find out about Baltimore officers whose names keep coming up repeatedly in complaints, either excessive force or civil rights violations. And he threw a name at me. Daniel Hersel. Hersel's not the only one, but Kevin and I have talked about him before, so. He seems to be a multiple offender. You could say so. About 50 complaints against him. That's pretty multiple. Why is he still on the street? Simply put, Hersel and guys like him, they get out of their cars and they make arrests. I ain't even holding nothing, Hersel. Officer Hersel, you shitbird. This here is harassment. Yeah, keep running your gums. Sick of this shit. And fuck you. Fuck me, huh? Yeah. Oh, you see that? He put his hands on me. He touched me. Turn around. I said turn the fuck around. Back the fuck up. Call him in. 3117 at dispatch. 1015 at Lafayette and Bethel. Back up. Get back. Get the fuck back. Stay back. Uh, What's the charge? Assaulting the police officer. Resisting. You fucked me up. Y'all got nothing, man. This is bullshit. Look, look, I'm canceling that jail wagon. I'm calling for a fucking ambo. The fuck? Throw a band-aid on him at Central Booking. He's all right. You banged him, Herschel. Fuck if I'm gonna help you dump him in a jail van bleeding and have Marilyn Mosby indict my ass. 3117 to dispatch. 22 to wagon. Everybody's so fucking sensitive. He's a fucking asshole in this. So he, Herschel is a member of the GTTF who has been accused of excessive roughness and is a subject of multiple complaints. Steele meets with the police commissioner, Kevin Davis, who play, who is played by Wire alum Delaney Williams, who played Landsman on that show. She tries to figure out why Herschel and his techniques haven't been sanctioned. She's informed that his hands are tied because Herschel has only received one recorded incident. We see a couple of scenes of Herschel pulling over a black man and humiliating him in the front in front of his son and detaining another black man for no reason. And then when the guy talks back, he cracks his head open. Uh, this rough. He, oh, he was resisting, guys. You see, okay. okay. It was. It wasn't even. He. He like bumped. Oh, into we know. We know. Oh, we know. To, we know. So, the other cop refuses to take him to jail because he saw there was going to be another rough ride and he called for mm-hmm. an ambulance because he does not want to be indicted by merely most. I'm not trying to deal with this smoke today. OK, I have shit to do tomorrow. So on uh, February 28th, 2017, Jenkins holds a meeting with the BPD's higher authorities in the episode's final act. Jenkins and the board are debating the city's crime rate as well. As well as the GTTF's role in reducing gun and drug related violence. While the higher officials feel that the BPD's arrests have decreased, while crime has increased in the city, 
Jenkins claims that the GTTF's arrest figures have increased. Jenkins, who obviously is Blue Lives Matter. Oh, absolutely. Uh, he agrees with the cops getting got, with the cops getting off in the Freddie Gray indictment and makes an argument for police brutality. It's a hell of a rip, Sergeant Jenkins. I appreciate that, sir. In the wake of this seizure, yeah. let me ask you if you have any thoughts on the fact that many of our officers have been reluctant to even attempt arrests in the two years since the Freddie Gray indictments. Well, look, uh, DC, I'm sure you know the deal, same as me. Officers involved in the Freddie Gray arrest, they got the raw deal in that indictment. But those cases are coming out the right way in court. Now, I can't think of any reason whatsoever. Why would we need to stand down on making arrests as long as they're the right arrests? But many in the rank and file disagree with you, Sergeant. Citywide, our arrests are down 60% since the indictments. I can't speak to that, sir, but I can speak. can't speak to my unit. Gun Trace Task Force, our arrests are up over the last eight weeks. Now look, the numbers don't lie. You compare our stats post Freddie Gray to before, you see exactly what I'm talking about. And you don't worry about going out on the street and ending up on someone's viral video, Sergeant Jenkins? Hey, as long as they get my good side. Jenkins? He's weird. Yeah. So he's gonna be complex. He's gonna be complex. Like, we're gonna get into it next episode. Jenkins is unrepentant about his and his team's tactics, and he believes they are successfully reducing crime on Baltimore streets. Jenkins, who refers to himself as Superman, is summoned by <laughs> to the BPD Internal Affairs site to resolve a minor car issue. And he's just walking in there, dick swinging, like, hey, I got to do this. Yeah, I'm in there. Like, like okay, girl. <laughs> Jenkins is captured by the FBI as soon as soon as he disarms himself and enters the hall. While I the, want you, I want you. Yes, are you? No, you ain't with us. We we real police. So while the the reason for Jenkins' arrest is not revealed in this episode is most likely related to the BPD's pursuit of Aaron Anderson, which we will see in a minute. Jenkins, when confronted by the commissioner, does not flinch when he, when he is detained. He has a defiant look of a nigga that definitely did that shit. Oh, absolutely. This nigga, his his face was hilarious. Mm -hmm. This surprises the police commissioner uh, because he said that everyone else they caught did flinch and did look away. But this motherfucker did not turn any point in time. I didn't and, expect him to. Yes. And as a result, the episode's conclusion marks the beginning of Jenkins and the GTTF's demise. So that's the rundown of part one. Great episode. Uh, a little background on Wayne Jenkins. Wayne Jenkins, he, before becoming a police officer, I believe that he was a former N MMA fighter. So, oh, oh, God. So that whole testosterone, big, big on testosterone, walking around, cock swinging all of, you know, uh, around, that's, yeah, that's really his personality. Also, it was said that he was kind of a bit of a code switcher, where he would talk one way when he was dealing with black people on the street and talk a different way when he's dealing with other white police officers. And you can kind of tell that he has that little jive that want to be put on jive thing that he does when he's talking to his mm -hmm. he's talking to his black officers and then when he's with the brass he's kind of a little bit more proper but still he has oh, that see it a whole bunch next episode mm, yes so also uh, john barenthal like jamel said great great actor really great actor and when he was um i heard an interview with him when he was doing his he would do ride-alongs with baltimore police and mm -hmm. He said during filming, somebody, 
uh, when they was trying to like they was trying to arrest somebody, and I think they was doing still doing filming. But one guy actually thought that he was one of the cops on the task force and took uh-huh. a speak at him. But John, <gasps> but John called him first and because kicked his ass. Because it's John Bernthal, okay? Right. John Bernthal's from D.C. You're not just gonna haul off and do that, right? <laughs> So I found that pretty interesting. I know he would also doing ride-alongs. He would kind of like, you know, solve, he kind of like solve a couple of minor crimes. Oh, he would point nice. out. Oh, you know, he was kind of like he was kind of doing a little bit of snitching. He thought people had guns and everything. He would point them uh-huh. out. But um, but yeah. Um, Tell me. But yeah, that was overall that for the rundown of that. That was a good episode introducing us to these characters that are important again it's a it's a definitely a show that plays with time but overall it was, it was great Devin, do you have any parting thoughts because i know i didn't let you get a chance to say anything uh, about the first episode as a whole yes about the first episode as a whole anything that stood out to you or that you wanted to like point out in that episode i mean you you pretty much got it all it's, but I've, you didn't I've say shit nigga is why he's trying to ask you to participate in this three-person podcast i nigga. was like oh yeah wow they're stealing from those niggas and they had the tracker <laughs> that was wild <laughs> yeah. i was like oh those are cops because i didn't realize they were cops at first yeah i, oh. you know what? I did not and yeah i did not he's referring to odal well he's referring to um i don't know O'Dall. the wire characters by the way so odal yeah. is the one that shot <laughs> who killed never saw the wire yeah you never saw the wire? no mm-hmm. oh, nigga. um but yeah um I did not know they were cops. At the time, I thought they were um, they were gang members that was breaking in, and then we realized in the middle of the episode that they were that they were cops. And I still, even when they put those police vests on, I was like, these niggas ain't cops. These niggas, mm-hmm. these, like they just they just are they like running the scam or something? No, and, but I because it was Baltimore, I knew they were cops. But that's just because I, you know. But go ahead. <laughs> Right. But like this nigga old dog is like 96 pounds days. wet. <laughs> oh. <laughs> He's like 96 pounds of soaking wet. So I was like, these niggas is not cops. But yeah, um, I don't know if I would want to live in Baltimore, yo. You know, no offense, our friends is at the nerd apocalypse, you know, who do live in Baltimore. Oh. But shit. <laughs> you know, I love those I love those guys. And I've been to Baltimore, but oh, you know, you gotta I can't, know where to go. Yeah, Baltimore is not a city you go to on purpose. Right. Uh, Wait a minute. That was a joke. I've I've walked through the south side of Chicago, you know, and and feel like I'm safer there than if I were to go to Baltimore, you know, because I just don't want to get harassed. I will say the best part about Baltimore is seeing it in your rear view mirror. (laughs) Let's just move on to episode two because you niggas is crazy. (laughs) Y'all are crazy. Part two is written by William Zorzi and Ed Burns, and again, directed by Ronaldo Marcus Green. This is a really jumping around time episode, but I'm going to try to stick with mm-hmm. it. So, so we're going to start with the cold open and the Wayne Jenkins stuff. Between 2003, 2005, and 2000, and then some stuff in 2017. So March 7th, 2017, Detective Wayne Jenkins is taken from his cell in Howard County Jail for transport to the U.S. District Court lockup. Jenkins complains about his arrest and makes claim that he will be free shortly. I ain't gonna be here long, you know? And that's all I'm saying. Yeah, he's down there fucking with. 
I'm sure they realize, you know, you know, by now they got the wrong guy. I mean, phone calls are being made. I swear to God, man, my boy's got a game this week, and I miss that shit. I'm going to sue him, motherfucker. You bet your ass on that. Stop. Jenkins, Wayne, and transport to U.S. District Court lockup. They brag and shit. They don't. They're like, I ain't gonna be his dog. Like everybody, every nigga do when he go to jail for the first time. Mm-hmm. On the ride. So is it me? So y'all, I mean, I guess y'all know the backstory to all this. I'm assuming. Yes. No. Well, I I do, but I don't know the like the whole ins and out. But I do know what it's about. And okay. I don't. I don't. Cause I'm like, I'm, I'm yeah. When he said that, I was like, okay, he is about to be out of here, and I was like, oh no, he's not. <laughs> On arrival in the courthouse interrogation room, he tries to get the attention of anyone observing him through the CCTV cameras. Then he starts to reminisce about his career. We then the travel back. He just kept looking at the camera and started thumping mm-hmm. on the, the day. I was just like, oh, oh, oh. Because he, he feels like he's important. He had, You know what it is? It's, he's, he sounds like Superman, yeah. He's a real-life Vic Mackey, you know. And he feels like he's the most important cop in the room or that you're going to wait on him, even though he's the one in handcuffs, but you're going to wait on him. The idiot, the idiot, well, watch shield. That. Is that, a, is no, that another wire care? Oh, the shield. No. Yeah. But yeah, it's Nigga, like Stop that. watching co- uh, cop shows <laughs> and watch, I don't know, Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> Nigga, we watch 911. Oh, yeah, that's right. Damn. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> so we travel back to August 18, 2003 where a run sheet details his first shift in the Southeastern District as a trainee officer. Jenkins uh, arrives in the briefing room and looks at the plaques of the following officers on the wall. Then Officer Ed Barber introduces himself as Jenkins' field training officer and tells Jenkins they will cover the two Baker 23 posts. Their shift lieutenant enters and tells them the command mandate remains for mass arrest from all indicted corners and drug-free zones, and that arrest for spurious reasons known as humbles, like like you get caught on a humble, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. are all in play. Officer Brian Hairston complains about the mass arrest tactics, citing the rapid release of those they bring in. The it's, lute- not, it's pointless. As soon as you bring them in, they're going to be right back on the street. But they're just like, yeah, but for those 24 hours, where it's mm-hmm. quiet. There's right. no crime. Catch and release, right. basically. That's weird, but okay. Like Jamil was just saying, the lieutenant claims that emptying the corners overnight will reduce violent crimes over on citywide. He warns his officers that anyone not making an arrest will need to explain themselves to him after their shift. That's that whole juking the stacks thing that they talked about in the wire, by the way. Um, Barbara tells Jenkins to forget everything he was taught at the academy about procedure and profitable calls and particularly it's cultural, Baltimore. yeah, cultural sensitivity training because this is Baltimore. About um Barber. Can I, we talk about it, please? I that Can was I thought it was a, yes. I thought he was. Was a he nigga. raised by a black woman? Was he, <laughs> he did he have black parents or something like that? Was he adopted by black people? He had some kind of black. He had some kind of trend. Um, some kind of black proximity to him. Cause good lord, that accent. That accent was thick. I don't know if I didn't Oof. look up to see the actor was really from Baltimore. I've been trying to look him up, but I couldn't find anything. Like, I mean, like, <laughs> I, that I'm was a Baltimore nigga right there. Yes, it was. The officers delivered the mass arrest as asked. 
One man was just waiting for his takeout food order. Another dude was just walking to his girlfriend's house. You gonna lock me up, come out the carry out? Shut the fuck up. That's that bullshit, man. I can't stand the police, man. Bullshit, man. I'm just trying to get some chicken out here, man. You stuck with a needle, you gonna take an ass with it. I ain't got no needle, man. I ain't doing shit. I'm gonna go see my girl when y'all roll. Where's your girl in? Port Street. Oh, Milton. I was walking there. God damn. Come take him. Oh, charge on that guy? Loitering in a drug-free zone. Failure to yield, failure to obey. What's any of that to in court? Doesn't go to court. Pulls them off the street till they see the court commissioner in the morning, then they drop the charges. Or if they ASA cuts him loose from the jail side, then maybe he's indoors till early morning. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. That's what they want. Like the LT says, we clear the corners, they'll stop shooting each other. If they stop shooting each other, the murder rate goes down. And if the murder rate goes down, the mayor gets to be the governor. <laughs> Oh, this is about the mayor. Fucking O'Malley promised he would get the murder rate below 200 a year, but he ain't even close. So we got to clear the corner so that the government can't say Marty runs a shit old city. You just won't lock anybody up, huh? Anybody and everybody. What you want to ride? It's my house. I don't give a fuck. You going to lock me up for sitting on my own steps? I am if you're still on your ass 10 seconds from now. See, like the bosses say, them two fellas ain't gonna get shot or shoot anyone now. That's the theory anyway. Yeah. So again, this is like why I say like, what what's going on in Baltimore, man? You just can't just stay, you, as a black person, you you can't just walk to the street. You can't get food without the threat of being arrested. Like what the fuck? So let's let's go to our Baltimore correspondent, Jamel. Do you go outside? I don't even live in Baltimore. What are you talking about? Baltimore, Jace. No, are you allowed no, to walk outside? No, she Baltimore? really does not live in Baltimore. I know where she lives, and it's not. Oh, Baltimore. look at, look at these Baltimore. niggas. Oh, we met each other in real life. We've seen each other and eat raw hamburgers together. Oh, <laughs> what raw hamburgers? I had the raw hamburger. She had something else. The point is, both of you had raw hamburgers, she and y'all met in real life. Whatever. Can we? Can we? Can we keep going? What is happening? I don't forget here? any. I don't forget anything. You really we do don't. know that you have the world's best memory. I do know that. Mm-hmm. Jenkins asks about the charges, and Barbara says that he was loitering in a drug-free zone. He failed to yield and failed to obey. Jenkins, which is not real crimes, by the way. Jenkins wonders how that will play in court, and Barbara explains the charges will never make it to court. They will result in the overnight stay and be dropped by the court commissioner in the morning. Barbara also notes that an assistant state's attorney, who's a plant, might even release them following their arrival at jail and just having them free early in the morning. Jenkins said actually if it's a good thing, and Barbara rationalized it and saying that they are delivering with command wall, clear corners to stop the shootings. Barbara uh, says that it's aiming to reduce violent crime in support of the mayor at that time, Martin O'Malley, delivering on his promise to reduce the city murder rate he explains that O'Malley claimed he would get the murder rate below 200 per year and delivering on his promise in his plan to run for governor, which O'Malley was elected governor of Maryland mm-hmm. in 2007. I need to see Jamel's voting records. Really? <laughs> I didn't 
live in Baltimore. I didn't even live in Maryland in 2007. Thank okay, you. Good. good for you. Good for you. Jenkins wonders if they would just lock up anyone. Barbara tells him if it's anyone and everyone. They approach a pair of men drinking from plastic cups on the front of the stupid building. Barbara asks them if they want to be taken to jail. The man tells him that it's his house. He warns them if he, he doesn't care, and if they're still there in 10 seconds, he will arrest them. The men voice their frustration, but they do head inside. Barbara cynically reinforces the command strategy that by forcing the men off the streets that they have prevented them from getting involved in the shooting. Jenkins laughs as that he's understood it. He understood the assignment. Um, mm-hmm. This whole segment to me, again, this episode, episode two, was basically the wire. It was basically episode yes, one. Absolutely. It was just, so, yeah. So, because it reminded me Thank of. Thank God I've never four. watched that show then. Jesus. <laughs> It, it reminds me of that season four episode where the com- where command's goal was to clear the corners to keep the murder rate down for Carcetti and his political ambitions. So it re- did remind me of, of is that Littlefinger? I, yes, there's Littlefinger. It's Carcetti. I know stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just remember that name. That's how deep my Game of Thrones knowledge is. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, we jump to 2004 where we see Wayne is getting more and more confident in his job as a, a crooked beat cop harassing the blacks. He's making bogus arrests. And in one scene during a takedown by other officers, Jenkins grabs a leg of, of someone who he thinks is a suspect and begins to beat on it with his club. But it turns out he was, <laughs> yeah, he was beating on the leg of a fellow police officer because he can't tell niggas who wear Jordans apart. That dude was like, ow! <laughs> this is it's me! It's me! He was like, oh man, I'm sorry, man. I hit, Damn, I hit hard! <laughs> We also get a glimpse of his home life where he's late bringing some small ass Maryland crabs to a party. I know Jamil will be disappointed in those crabs. Uh, yeah. He gets mocked by an old friend about about that his, was just rude, though. Yeah, his little broke boy ass crabs. Like, man, the man was like, hey, man, you need to come here and get some real food. I got some great goose. I got some Hennessy. I got some New York. Also, why couldn't they cook all of that? That's what I was thinking. I don't yeah, know why they he, add the crafts to that. Right. I think the crafts are already cooked, but this dude Were was they? petty. Well, they was just whole, but this dude waited until Wayne got there and then tried to show all the food off that he brought. Because Wayne was like bitching about spending $46. So Wayne was a broke boy. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, his wife was appreciative of it. She was like, I eat all of it. I eat all those crabs for you. That's $45 worth of crabs. $46 worth of crabs. Right. Quick pause. Um, yes. Officer Barber, I think he might be white or half white, but he actually, I, all I know is like all of his close friends uh, seem to be uh, black folks. Okay. And he has children and they look black. Oh, okay. So he's and I think okay. his I think his lady is also black. Yeah. Yeah, I knew he had some proximity to blackness. No, it's not even proximity. Like this 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 is So what you what you're saying is he is a culture vulture? I wouldn't even say that. No, I think I would no, I wouldn't say that. I think he was just raised around in and around nothing but black folks. Mm. He is also from DC. Okay. And John Bernthal, like John Bernthal, if you look at his like his like close friends, they're all most of them are black too. Yep. So yeah. I heard stories. So then on February um, 7th, 7th, 2005, Jenkins is now a FTO, field training officer, and he gets mm-hmm. to train a young Asian officer just like he was trained by making bogus arrests 
and police brutality, and I hope that Asian man quit, you know, after seeing how they beat up minorities. You know he had to. Yeah, because we don't see him in 2015 or 2017. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're going to move on to the Ram interrogation, which is in 2017. Jenkins is returned to his cell at the Hartford County Jail. He passes by Jamel Ram, who's played by Darrell Britt Gibson, who's been taken to being questioned by the Corruption Task Force. Jenkins says it's just a small thing and that they have nothing on them if no one talks. He shouts at Jamel by saying, keep his damn mouth shut. Uh, Jamel arrives at the courthouse and is met by Erica Jensen and John Siraki, who we met last week. These are the two officers or the two agents that are interrogating these crooked cops, basically. Um, Jensen notes that Jamel has waived his right to have an attorney present. Jamel says he's not willing to pay the $500 per hour to be uh, fee to be there. Siraki says that he will need an attorney to meet with him at the, with the federal prosecutors for the proffer sessions. One of our lawyer listeners can tell us what that is to email us. Um, Mark, is Marcus listening? <laughs> yes, Marcus. <laughs> Probably. Listening. I'll uh-huh. ask. Oh, Marcus. Yeah, he stays listening. Shout out to Marcus. <laughs> After Marcus, Jensen reminds him that if he's caught in a lie or holds anything back, his deal would then be jeopardized. Uh, so Jamel is already said he's going. Jamel already's going to turn. I think um, G Money was turning too. So interesting having you say his name, <laughs> Jamel. Oh yeah. Because every time you say it, I'm like, huh? I, I didn't even think about. It. I didn't even think of it. It's spelled differently, obviously, but like, every time you say it, I'm just like, wait, what? <laughs> So Jamel is eager to get going, but notes that they may want to keep Jenkins away from the other detainees in the case. He says that he is urging them not to talk, preaching that they need to hold a thin blue line because because like they said, you're not black, you're not white, you're blue. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. as we see, you, you you see that a lot more in this episode. You definitely see it a lot in this episode. Uh, Jamel notes that uh, Jenkins was always that way. Jamel later goes on to implicate his supervising sergeant at the time, Allers, who we met last week, by the way, in the criminal investigation into the GTTF. And he details a story where he and members of the task force detained and steal 11K from a black man who just cashed in his refile in his house. Yeah, they are. They are something else. Good Lord. Right. Relentless. And you notice that these are actually all black officers that are detaining uh-huh. and from oh, this yeah. black man. Uh, of course, they're kicking back up to the white, you know, brass and kicking back to Jenkins, mm-hmm. of course. But these are these are black police officers that are doing this to another black man who just did something good in his life, made some money on his house, which is the shit that these c- cops said you are supposed to do. Be good. Yeah. Be a citizen. He was doing that like he didn't uh, because you know like this is the GTTF mostly, right? Yes. They're supposed to be looking for guns. Right. But yeah, that's like Je- that's what Wayne right. Jenkins was talking about the whole time. I was like, no, we want to we want like guns off the street, and here mm. you go stealing. Okay, that's cute. Right. All right. He later details how an eternal affairs is also corrupt, and he only got to. it for two years would pay for that for the stealing of the eleven thousand dollars. And when he was reinstated, he was put on the GTTF with the biggest crooks in the department. So why should he play by the book when no one else is? I'm just, I'm just, I'm just here for the vibes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, so we're gonna move on to the LaRonde briefing. Free LaRonde, which is takes place in October 2015. So oh, commission. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so this was actually a pretty good, a really good scene. Commissioner Davis briefs his plainclothes anti-crime and drug enforcement officers in the wake of the suspension of an unnamed officer for attempting to intimidate a witness. But Jenkins, uh, from the back, sarcastically Free yells, Free Lavande! Okay, girl. <laughs> forcing Davis to name the officer directly. He tells them that he will support them fully, but up to a limit. He cites behavior like that of LaRonde in filming a witness and a television reporter in an attempt to intimidate the witness is unbefitting of a police officer by anyone's standard. He says that he recognizes the need to police aggressively. Davis says that LaRonde will face a trial board and that his behavior was unacceptable and stains them all. Davis tells the assembled officers that he and Deputy Commissioner Operations Parmer understood how their work is and that he would have their backs up to the limit. And Jenkins is just rolling his eyes like the whole time. Mm -hmm. The officers grumble as they exit. Davis orders Parmel to bring him Jenkins. Jenkins half-ass apologizes for his interruption, saying that he can't control his mouth. Davis makes a point of noting Jenkins' name and gets a promise that it will not happen again, and Jenkins walks away. And Jenkins jokes with Parmer that Davis seems to like him. That's that, mm. that's that Superman shit, that that, mm-hmm. dick, that dick swinging shit that he's doing. It's just like, you like, know what? My bad. I apologize. I won't do it again. You know, to the, to yeah! the commissioner, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's so sarcastic. Right. This is a in the next one I want to point out a scene I want to point out. It's a, it's a pretty short segment for Homicide Life on the Street 2017. Homicide Life on the Street, David is another cop show I watched also by David Simon back in the nineties. Oh. I'm not surprised. <laughs> not surprised. is that like NYPD Blue? Kind of actually. I think it was around the same time. I tried to watch that show. Did not go well. <laughs> was it L.A. Undercover? Same time. One of those I tried to watch and it was terrible. Mm-hmm. Finally, finally, newly minted homicide detective Sean Studer, aka Marlowe, played by Jamie Hector. They meet G Money in the parking deck, and he joke and G Money jokes on them because they're working for no money. Like, um, How you doing with your broke ass? Yeah, they they only get their salary because they're working for homicide. And G Money works in seizures where the money from overtime alone is a gold mine, and also implying that the, he's he's running pockets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Suter is called in to investigate a murder of who he believes or who he determines is a working class family man that was shot near his home. Sean, right? Yeah. My name is Sean Sarge. Looks like your Vic was a civilian. A worker and a family man. So this guy gets gunned down for putting up a fence to keep drug dealers from cutting through his yard? I don't know yet. Well... Word from upstairs is the commissioner and some city hall polls are headed over to Park Heights to finish the fence for TV cameras. Yeah, I kind of doubt the fence thing. He got shot five times. So shooters maybe got anger management issues a little beyond the fence. Let it play as is. Never know, maybe it moves somebody to call in a lead. Look, taxpayer murder rates a second detective, and you're new. You want somebody with you on this? I'm good. The brass... The um, supervisors, they seize on a likely bogus story that he was shot to death for building a fence to keep drug dealers from crossing through his yard. And, yeah, um, like, oh, yeah, we should yeah. start building that fence, too. Okay. Oh, yeah, they was going to build a fence and keep the yeah. fence in form and all that kind of mess or whatever. Okay, girl. But um, this may lead to something, you know, that's probably going to tie to the that's probably going to tie to the task force. We will see. But 
one thing they compare it to is the manpower involved in randomly rousing guys from standing on corners and wearing hoodies and driving without a seatbelt. Whereas this homicide detective who does need the resources in order to solve his case, he's alone. He has nothing. He has yeah. nothing. But it is reminiscent of the way McNulty used to go out with Bump and they would rob cases. Jamil. Yeah, because it would just be them. Like, and you remember that scene of the wire the first fuck season, scene? The fuck scene. With his, yeah, I remember the fuck scene. David, I think you should at least watch that scene. I see you. Yeah, watching. I'm gonna send. Yeah, we'll send you that because that one I think you'd actually like. Mm-hmm. So, I'll watch it. Okay, so this is a long one. Buckle up, Buckaroos. That's what Jamel said. <laughs> the Anderson interrogation. Which if you didn't get that, listeners, Jamel is a size queen. Just letting y'all know. <laughs> oh, be quiet. So the Anderson interrogation, which is taking place in 2015, McDougal and Hawk make final preparations for interrogating Aaron Anderson. Hawk jokes that McDougal needs to check Anderson for a third tracking device after because they found the two in his car last episode. McDougal goes into the room where Anderson is already waiting with the assistant U.S. attorney, uh, Andrea Smith, and Detective Scott Kilpatrick, who we met last episode. Anderson wonders why he is there, and he knows he doesn't have any drugs. He didn't have any drugs in his hotel room, so why is he there? And they explained that they're going to charge him with possession with intent to distribute based on the arrest on February 9th of 2015 by the BPD police officers. And by the way, BPD, PD, of course, are city police. How can McDougal work for the county? So they are part of a different investigation. Anderson argues that the charge is old. McDougal explains that he's never worked out the charge. Smith tells him that they're trading up and want to give them information. Kilpatrick asks about Antonio Sharpshire, who we did meet briefly in part one at a strip club after G-Money and Jamel stole the money and stash from Anderson. We know Jamel is, we know it's not Jamel from the show because our Jamel avoids strip clubs now at the house. Never. <laughs> Ever. Are you sure about that, Jamel? I, third, I thought you were a fan of shoe shows. Ever. Okay. Ever. So we get a flashback of last week's episode, but from a different perspective, where they were G Money, not G, well, G Money is um the driver, but Jamel is the uh, is one of the stick up kids, mm-hmm. and they st- where they stole the money from uh, Anderson. And Anderson does confirm that he does know Sharpshire, but knows him as Brio, which I'm going to refer to him as Brio from now on. Um, Sharpshire is a big ass name. (laughs) Yes. And that he was his supplier, but he stopped buying from him several months ago. Did you feel like they said it like once every two seconds? They did. Yes. Like, Jesus Christ. Okay, we get it. Right. We get it. (laughs) Sharpshire. Shropshire. I'm calling that nigga Brill, and I'm gonna I'm gonna move on with my day. But what kind of name for a nigga is Shropshire though? Like, I don't know. You know. I have no idea. Like, I was literally they were just like oh, when they first showed Shropshire, I was like, oh, that's him. This nigga oh. was was this nigga family owned by hobbits? Must have been. 
<laughs> You're a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> so Smith asks how they communicate, and Anderson says they, they would use phones instead of a face-to-face meeting. Now, one thing I want to just pause and point out here, because this is 2015. They are using phones to and send up face-to-face meetings. It, again, this episode was basically The Wire, which we will see a direct mm-hmm. to The Wire. But mm-hmm. back in, but in The Wire's run between 2002 to 2005, I think, somewhere around in there. Burn, burners, burner, burner. They had burners. They had yeah, burners. They was using pay phones. They were sending pictures at one point. But now yeah. it's they got FaceTime. That if these niggas is FaceTiming, hey, but, they clean. <laughs> but they still use the phones. But hey, it all goes. Yeah, but I guess you can't like. I guess you can't like record the audio if you FaceTime or something. No, because it works over the internet. Yeah. Okay. There it is. Right. Uh, Jamel's FaceTime is a <laughs> method of calling people, and you can see them like what we're doing you know on we Skype. We can FaceTime, right? I'm just saying it's on. We're doing it on Skype, but it's on iPhone. You know we can. Uh, Jesus Christ. I'm just letting it's you know not, that. Go ahead. It's exclusively. Like, we don't have to do that duo shit. <laughs> Or whatever the fuck really? it's called. Really? Because Duo has a lot of different um, uh, things that you can do. Pretty dope. Well, were you, did we just talk about start talking about sex or what? What just happened? Ew! No, no. Oh, no. I was like, you, your voice went kind of low. Like the things that you could do on Duo. I'm like, the fa- say that happen. for Patreon. <laughs> so we'll so call with face. Jamel. Maybe top tier. In mm. yellow. Mm. In yellow mm. with a pedicure. With my feet out. Right. Let, I mean, you know, I ain't gonna micromanage the tears, Bell, but you know, go ahead. <laughs> I will. But um, oh <laughs> so she asks if Vanderson can go back to Brill, but he refuses, and claiming that Brill set up the robbery on his crib two weeks ago, um, which which triggered his move to the Red Roof Inn. McDougal confirms that they saw that his door had been kicked in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. Anderson claims that he would not speak to Neil. He wouldn't speak to Neil if they were BPD because Brio has a connection in the department. An officer that he grew up with who looks out for him G named G-Money. And he works in narcotics. Is this the part where they were uh, had the guns to the wife's head? Yes, that was a flashback. That was okay. a flashback mm-hmm. where they did, where they showed that, um, the guns mm-hmm. to the girlfriend's head. Um, yeah, that, I felt so bad for her. They're like, people always talk yeah. when there's a gun to it. I was like, God damn. Well, you know what, but but still, she was in on it. She was in on it though, on the on the criminal conspiracy. But you know, in fairness, they went. They were not cops doing that though. They were exactly. They were um. They were gang members doing that. They were cop gang members, but not in the official capacity. So. Kilpatrick and McDougal are thrown by this revelation, and after the conversation with Anderson, they involved the FBI. Special Agent Jensen and Sergeant Siraki. Together, they plan to tap Brio's phone and place a tracker on his car and because they're trying to find out more about this cop who's involved with the drug dealer. And they also had their doubts about the tracker, which we learned that um, G-Money had borrowed and it was placed mm-hmm. on Anderson's car and it was and it was traced back to the GTTF. But they did not collect it back because... You, if you come looking for that tracker, then they're going to start asking okay. questions about why you needed it, why it was on his suspect's car, blah, blah, blah. You know. Uh-huh. And then we see the most direct reference to The Wire ever, where uh, Kilpatrick and McDougal 
they get the most easiest wiretap. It was so uh, quick. It was so quick. McNulty was start. If McNulty saw how how easy it was, he would just start crying. Like, damn, man. That was <laughs> no paperwork. No, no paperwork. They just put these niggas in the room, hit one hey, button, they all the Bam. Already up. All right. So the case is further strengthened when Jensen had a word with a detective Ryan Gwynn of the of uh, BPD. He's a sergeant trainer or something like that now. And he reported having witnessed G Money's close relationship with Brill, but G Money kept kept saying that Brill was a good dude, that it was only people, it was only a rumor that he sold drugs. But uh, we in those like nigga, it's a whole drug dealer right there. <laughs> you know, exactly. we know we know he's a drug dealer. We just we still we just still building the case. But these factors made the doubt stronger. And they just basically up on his wire waiting for G-Money to contact Brio, which he does end up contacting him because Brio found the tracker on his car. So he's Brio is smarter than Anderson because uh, Anderson had two trackers, as we said before, and he didn't find yep. shit. Brio was just like, can you put this on one of these other niggas' car real quick? They just don't do nothing. Okay, thanks. Shit, well, that didn't take long. What's that? Looks like Shropshire found our tracker. Where? GPS shows Baltimore City down on 25th Street near Lock Raven. There's a bunch of auto shops down there. Look, look, it's Gondo. Fuck me, he's calling Gondo. Hello? Yo, Papi. What's up, bro? What's good with you? Nothing, man. You know, Philly. You in Philly, huh? Yeah. Well, I got a question for you. I'm listening. I took the car to the shop. The thing's lit, yo. They pulled it off. Okay. What to do with it? Hey, yo. Just run that bump one more time. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, nigga. Let me think. All right. Yo, this an iPhone? Yeah. Just FaceTime me, yo. All right. All right. So he asked G-Money to uh, do what Jamel says, and G-Money says, okay. FaceTime me. <laughs> I need you to face. I need you to FaceTime. I need you, I need to see you right now. And because, like we said, FaceTime can't be traced because it's over the internet. And then, so Jamal, stay away from illegal activity. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. And then they get back on the recorded line where G Money tries to say that he doesn't know who he's talking to, but the dumbass nigga says Brio. All right, says all right. Okay, Brio. I'll holler at you later, baby. Right, and they're just like, well, okay. There it let's is. Let's go ahead. <laughs> let's go ahead. What did that one down. nigga say when he was leaving the room? Like, uh, bad guys got to be perfect. Yeah. Be lucky oh, he said, once. Yeah, he said the bad guys always got to be perfect. We only have to be lucky once. Yep. There you go. And, they, and that was that one time being lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now they got G money, and they log this call as evidence to start looking for us. And like I said, this whole segment was basically an episode of The Wire. The Wire. Right. Yeah. So wait, does The Wire mean like wiretaps? Yes, that's exactly what it is. Oh my god. Uh, to be, I've never seen the show. Con, c- context clues. I've never seen anything about the show. Common sense. I just know it's about a terrible city in the mid Atlantic. Hmm. Oh my God! Can't we That's all it? I know about it, and Littlefinger was on. I'm just saying. I okay. went to the aquarium Let's once. See, you want? <laughs> I did go to the aquarium. Yeah, see, there you go. Mm. So this last scene is going to be pretty long, but I'm going to get through it. Um, this is the That's Yelp's favorite. Go ahead. <laughs> 
the younger this segment is called Young Moot, the Younger Moose Lead, uh, which takes place in 2015. Nicole Steele meets with her team at the Department of Justice Civil Rights Office, and uh, one of her colleagues found a song by a local rapper, Young Moose, who apparently is a real rapper in Baltimore. And the song has lyrics about Officer Daniel Hersel. Fuck Hersel. Fuck, fuck Hersel. Check this out. Asshole. Fuck Hersel. He's police brutality defined. That's basically the song. <laughs> and um, yes. So, and we, as we know, Herschel's name has come up in the investigation of the um, standard of Baltimore policing, and they're trying to get this consent decree. And so Burns asked Steele to listen to the track, which she, did which you see that white boy, did you see that white man kind of grooving? What did you like? I love this shit. He loved that shit. What did y'all think about the song? Trash. Can we move on? It was terrible. Trash. <laughs> yeah, it's <is laughs> trash. So um, what did the, what did the girl say? Uh, who, who who what did she say uh, when she walked in there? Who's God damn? What term did she use? I don't remember what term it was, but I was like, I don't remember either. It's not important. But um, I was like, oh my god, do they talk like this? Well, some of these actors are British as well, so especially Woomy. So it's kind of like that they're makes playing. Sense. So okay, it's kind of like they're like, impressive. Who says that? Yeah. Did you say, is, who's this MC or some shit like that? Yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah, oh, this is yeah, yeah. Who's, who's MC? Yeah, that, like, no. Like, not, everybody, not, not everybody is referred to as an MC, boo. I was like, girl, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jamel, go ahead. So, um, Duff wonders if, how, Duff is one of the uh, colleagues, wonders how Herschel's bad reputation makes the local uh, folklore and why is he still in active duty? Uh, I forgot to mention in last epi- in the first episode, like I said, Duff is the uh, attorney that uh, has come to join the, the civil guy, rights right? office. I think it's a black guy. Was that the black guy, Ian Duff? I think it's a black it, guy you're talking about, yeah. Okay. There's so many names. Yeah, we will never remember these names. So, um, but anyway, the one one of the things I wanted to point out in the last episode is that because it's in 2015, this is during the election, and this is when Trump is in the prop is in the primary, and he makes a comment. Yeah, they, keep, off, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. they make an offhand comment that Trump would never get the election, and uh, and if he did, he would never win. And I'm looking, and I was just like, world's Jesus, baddest spoiler alert. Can like, if only we could have gone back. But anyway, um, still re- relays the explanation she's heard from the com- from the commissioner and the judge in the previous episode that there are not enough complaints uh, of um, that are sustained against Herschel, and he's still making active arrests when other officers are not. Still leaves the office and Gibson remarks that this is the current high standard of the BPD, uh, referring to Herschel's police brutality and not many officers doing their jobs anymore, um, which is how you get these task force and everyone. They're the ones making the arrest, but they're also the ones that are the most corrupt. Um, so she then meets with young Moose via from information via his lawyer, uh, Mr. Drummond who's played by Wire alum Michael Salcone, who played Detective Santangelo in The Wire. Moose, 
tells her about why he made the track and that ever since he dropped it, he's been getting harassed almost daily by Herschel and Herschel also steals from him. So you get that I'm with the Civil Rights Division, right? I'm a fed, but I'm not the kind of fed that, you know. I get it. So I'm not chasing you or anyone like you. I don't want you to snitch or testify in court. I'm just trying to write some truths about guys like Herschel, same as you. I hear you, but what you want me to say that I ain't already said? I mean, I put it all out there in the song and don't think I even made it pay for it. Saying this hurts you and this boys heard that rap, they got on me even worse. How? More harassment, more charges, shit never ends. Is there anything else you can tell me beyond the rap? Is there anything more? He still. Excuse me? Hurts you still, he gone in your pockets. You surprised? Shit ain't alone either. Her investigation later leads her to a patrol cop who's assigned to the legendary Leakin Park, which was featured in real life. Adnan. Well, in real life, yeah, was, was featured on the serial podcast in the Adnan Saeed case as a dumping ground for bodies, notably the body of Adnan's ex-girlfriend, Hey Min Lee. Rest in peace. One of the things that struck me about this part that it's how it looks in 2000 in the 2015 replication because like they, this was like described as like a as like a really really dangerous park vagrants and drug addicts if you can throw a rock you're probably going to hit a body this shit looks oh, yeah. like six flags now <laughs> you know yeah it used it. to be like yeah that's where niggas would go to drop off you know. Right. So so uh, it was just it's kinda like it just kinda struck me that that it looked like that and like and you could tell like there's a whole difference because Nicole and the officer remarks that they've never even heard of Lincoln Park before she had to meet him there and before he was even assigned to it. But mm. like I said, it was just like it was this whole dangerous park pretty much looks like six flags. You know. The officer then tells her about the prioritization of mass searches and arrests has made it impossible for the city to find unbiased juries since they are inevitably jurors who have been targeted by the cops or have relatives or friends in that position. So this just goes to Such show how trash trickle down shit. This just trickle down, down to everything, man. He then goes on to tell her that he was compelled to come forward because of the arrest of an arrest he witnessed by of a young boy who was stopped, harassed, and beaten by cops for doing nothing but walking down the street to go home after work. What did they do to you when you were on the ground? Whatever they wanted. Beat me all over. Stole me in my face, too. You spent the night in detention? Lucky I was on the schedule that day. I would have lost my job. I got 12 of these gonna leave a scar. You think it's gonna ruin me for the girls? I'm guessing you'll be all right. Those stitches, man. Yeah, because she meets him later to tell him about firsthand, and he takes his hat off, and his head is just, you can tell his head is in busted open. He probably has like 25 stitches in his yeah. forehead. And I but thought it was. Bless his heart. All he's worried yeah. about is like, you think girls gonna like, like me still? Girls gonna oh, like okay. it. I'm like, he's, he's like, gonna be fine. Right, he's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like, she's like, I think he's gonna be, right. I think he's gonna be all right. right. Jamel, he's tell right. us about the light skin advantage in the world. Go ahead. I don't need to. Everybody already knows it. It's a terrible thing. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I love pretty privilege. Shit. 
Okay. All right. Right on. Embrace it. So Do you want housing for nigga them uh, in uh, Alabama? Oh, um, I mean, I wouldn't know. You wouldn't know about being a nigga? Oh, well, yeah. But I mean, I don't know. It's different down here. It's, it's just different. So, um, we know. <laughs> so later, Steele meets with Herschel himself because she confronts him at a bar. And I'm like looking like you should you, you should probably take some backup. <laughs> I, I would I would have not gone into that bar by myself. Like, I would not have gone to that bar by myself. That bar was full of just white people. Like, and she that said, bar looked like racism. Officer Herschel? You asked me? I'm Nicole Steele with the DOJ Civil Rights Division. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're the guys who come tell us how to police Baltimore. Well, hey, I finally get to meet one of you guys. I'm glad to meet you, too. May I? Yeah, sure. You want a drink? Okay. So what do you want from me? Uh, I just thought it was time that we met. I could use your insight. Yeah, about what? Well, you have an impressive number of complaints with IAD. 46 by my count. Only one sustained. But given the number of Ma'am, you know what the Baltimore cops who don't have complaints are doing every day? No. They sure as hell ain't policing. Because hmm. if you want to do this job, then you're going to get complaints for doing this job. So what you're saying... I'm saying the reason so many complaints are unsustained is because they're coming from criminals who are being policed for doing crime. And that's all I have to say. I don't have any other comment for you beyond that, ma'am, but you have a fine day. Officer, I'm not a prosecutor. I'm just trying to learn about the city and the policing here to write a report. This is not a criminal investigation of any kind. Mm-hmm. Ma'am, you have a great day. I'm pretty sure a Confederate flag was over the was over. The, we didn't I'm see. I'm pretty it, sure the bar was... the bar was named racism, <laughs> racism and spirits. <laughs> so she is she confronts him. And just, also, I would love to go to that bar just to see the atmosphere of racism and spirits, by the way. Meet your white girl there? I mean, yo, my brother my brother called me out for that today. He was like, you're a seller. I'm like, nigga, you can't say that. You half white. <laughs> it was hilarious. Oh, no. <laughs> it was hilarious. Uh, that just happened today. Sorry, go ahead. He's, he did say that all white women that say that their boxes stink, so... I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Oh. I was like, I wouldn't know that. I'm not mad at that. But yeah, he was, yeah I was kind of proud of him for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not mad. Fine. Shout out to Bennett. I love you, bro. I should tell a, grandma, a story my grandma once told me, um, but I won't do it here. No, um, please tell us. No, I'll tell, I'll tell you off, Mike. She asked for his insight on the uh, police force's harshest actions on the streets. And she questions him about the massive number of brutality complaints against him. But he argues that none of those complaints were substantiated because the complaints are from criminals that he arrests. She still tries to get some information out of him, but he declines to comment any further and tells her to take her black ass back to Africa. Mm-hmm. You have a good day. You have a good day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and that- and that was the end of the second episode of We Own This City. 
Once again, it's very, very heavy material. And the reason, listeners, I went through that really fast to kind of like give an overview of what is happening, get you familiarized with some names because they still they're building the actual story. And then I will figure out a way to kind of cover it to make it a little bit more coherent or flow a little bit better. But I wanted to get this out the way in order to get you to familiarize you and familiarize my co-host with the story with the players and with the with the um, with the structure. Again, I I as far as this episode, I really enjoyed this episode. Like I said before, it was basically The Wire, which I'm here for. Devin hasn't seen it, Jamel has seen it, but I'm sure that she appreciated. Well, I let her speak for herself, but I appreciated that aspect of of the show where they basically went back to the the well. So Jamel, any parting thoughts on episode 2? Uh, yeah, y'all already know how I feel. Um, it's a very wonderfully um produced show, wonderfully acted. I just, you know, I just don't like shows about police brutality. So, well, can you? Would you at least you're seeing they are showing the police brutality aspect of it, which is mm-hmm. unfortunately a part a part of what this task force was doing and what other. No, I I I realize and recognize that's not entirely what it's about and it's you know about uncovering a lot of that but it's still i just it stings to me but i mean i'm i mean i'm here for it hell i'm here for the vibes let's do it <laughs> okay yeah i just want to like no point out there's like we're seeing police get their comeuppance which is something that we yeah. don't often we don't that's often what i'm see. waiting for that's so, what i'm yes. waiting for so Devin, any parting thoughts i'm just here so i don't get fined mm-hmm <laughs> No, I, I I should have been found a way to find you, but no. <laughs> <laughs> by adding so, more uh, shows that are not Game of Thrones. Yes, because mm-hmm. we yes because uh, we are adding the premium channel soon, so you're gonna have to watch some shit. <laughs> so thank you for listening. If you want to leave us any feedback on We Only City, any uh, Marcus, if you have any lore insight specifically to you that you can give us or anybody from listening from uh, Baltimore or Maryland can give any more insight about the theme of the show, what's going on or what was happening during that time, please hit us up. You can reach us uh, on Gmail at etopod at gmail.com. You can also leave a voicemail if you choose to at 205 304-1655. You can follow us on Twitter at EditThatOut1. And on Facebook, look up EditThatOut and you will find the Facebook page for EditThatOut with Jamel, Devin, and Juwan and also the uh, associated Facebook group where you can just join. We'll let you in. You will see all our content covered in there as well. And with that being said, Jamel, where can they find you on the internet? Feel free to find me at JamelMyBell on Twitter. And Instagram, if you like. Need you to spare that, please? Thank you. I appreciate you. <sighs> Go ahead. It's been like months, bruh. That is J A M E L L E M Y B E L L E. Thank you. Right. And Devin? On Twitter at Devin Lamar. With two R's. Talk about it. And you can find me on Twitter at JTD, that is J-A-Y-T-E-E-D-E-E, and also on TikTok at Chef JTD. Once again, thank you very much for listening. We appreciate you. We will hope you all have a good week, and we will talk to you later during our coverage of Episode 8 of FX's Atlanta. Atlanta. Maybe Juwan will actually like the episode. (laughs) Thank you very much.
Farewell. Bye-bye. I'm not arguing. I ain't beefing. I don't give a fuck. You put all your knife out. I don't give a fuck about fuck none of that. What's going on? What's going yeah, on? I don't care. Right I'm now. not worrying about, about it. But anyway. I don't feel like you talking about nothing. But, but I'm not worrying about that. What the fuck you doing? But anyway, doing, we bitch? back out here. I came out here to let you know, even though you pulled the knife out, I came out here to let you know. You feel me? I apologize for you looking ugly. I apologize. <laughs> That's why I came out here. Now, if you stab me, I got insurance. Make sure I don't go to Harbor Hospital. Make sure I go to John Hopkins. I like Cherry Hill niggas. That's why I came out here. Because I'm stabbing. Hold up. I know. It's nice. That's how sharp it is. That's how sharp it is. is. That motherfucker nice. Now, remind (laughs) you, not only did you take your commissary from Jessup, you took that knife from Jessup, too. (laughs) Yes, you did. You was in the penitentiary with me, and then we moved on in, and I went on M. Come on bet now. You was no end. Bet you was quiet when they jumped yeah, on yeah, you. Yeah, 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 I did. Yeah, yeah, I did. But you was one of the bloods. <laughs> you was one of the bloods. Yeah, you was one of the bloods. Blood, I'm black. Yeah, but I'm saying you was one of the bloods, and then you became Muslim because they whipped your ass. <laughs> I run shop. Man. Yeah, I understand you run shop just like you running your mouth. But what I'm saying to you is you my nigga. I love you. You my nigga. I love Cherry Hill niggas. Give me some smack. No, I don't do all that. I don't sell drugs. I don't sell drugs. I don't eat pills, but you eat your teeth. You still looking like a billy goat, but you eat your teeth. 